This, this, this is straight, straight, straight out of Crumpton with your host, Greg Crumpton. Hello, everyone, and a very happy new year to you, and welcome to a new episode of Straight Out of Crumpton. I'm your host, Tyler Kern, joined as always by Greg Crumpton himself. Greg, happy new year, man. Good to talk to you. It's been a while. Yeah, no doubt, Tyler. Um, I, I was just sitting here thinking, new year, I got to remember to start writing 22 because um, it seems like it takes me until like July to get that year. And then right. I want to keep doing it, you know, because it's not, you know, I haven't yet. But here I go again. Uh, old age creeping in. We'll get there. We'll make it make it uh, over the hump. But yeah, no, no <laughs> doubt. I'm spastic right now. I know that you saw me flying around here. Uh, guess what? We got people working here at the house today. Uh, of course. Doing some light fixtures. So uh, been in and out with that. The, the crazy poodles running around. And, and, you know, it's just a normal morning, mor- uh, morning at the Crumpton house. So all good. A normal morning of podcast uh, recording where there's always some kind of housework going on at Greg's house when we're trying to record these things. And so uh, it just makes the challenge all the more fun on my side, you know. Well, there's a big note on the door that says, be quiet, don't come in. Surely that will be ignored. But uh, <laughs> the poodle won't listen to that, by the way. True that. Who was that talking? Well, let's introduce our guest today, Greg. We have with us today Wendy Staso. She is the chairman of Huckestein Mechanical, uh, a service logic company. Greg, tell us a little bit about Wendy. Wendy, first of all, welcome to the podcast, and then we'll hear from Greg. But Wendy, welcome. Thank you. Excellent. So, Greg, tell us a little bit more about Wendy and uh, and why she's on the podcast with us here today. Well, because she's a badass, first Obviously. of all. And, you know, from that point, um, I had the pleasure of meeting Wendy, I don't know, probably three, four years ago now, uh, when Service Logic was acquiring her company. And um, I don't remember exactly what year that was, Wendy. It was before this one. Um, so I'll go with sometime in the past, but a couple of three years ago anyway. And um, so we, we went up for the meet and greet and I was able to, to meet Wendy for the first time. And, and we had a conversation, uh, met her son, Jonathan, who is the president of that company. And uh, we just had a, I, I felt like a really good conversation. And from that point on, we, we you know, what I consider uh, to, to have developed into a nice friendship and uh, somebody that, uh, like me, thinks about nuclear energy often. So we, we share nuclear power generation interest. I know that's really an obscure way to start the conversation, but that is one thing we have in common. So I just thought that the way Wendy has uh, built her career, how she was was super crucial in, in the successful uh be, for us to be acquiring her company, uh, just all kinds of good reasons to have her. And um, so I gave her a hundred bucks and said, hey, come <laughs> come sit with us on the podcast. And she did. So welcome, Wendy. Thank you. It's good to be here. Well, tell us a little bit about you so that our we, we have a huge uh, listening audience of, of multi-millions of people that listen to this podcast. So we want to give you maximum exposure but tell us a little bit about you and, and how you got to where you are and, and why in the world a, a successful woman like you wound up in the air conditioning business, for God's sake. Well, um, when I first got out of college, I worked for Westinghouse um, in the energy 
divisions of Westinghouse. One of uh, one of our um, main projects was uh, a next generation nuclear reactor, but we also worked on solar and fuel cells and MHD and all kinds of advanced energy technologies. I did that for ten years, and um, and then I had Jonathan and decided that I was going to stay home uh, and raise my son. And I started a small consulting firm at the time. So I did that for, well, probably 20 years. Um, and then my husband had purchased, he, he's a, an investor in real estate and, and troubled businesses and things like that. And one of the businesses that he had purchased was Huckestein. At the time, it was called James E. Huckestein, the name of the founder of the company. Um, and he changed it to Huckestein Mechanical Services. And he and his partner, we, we had a partner who ran the business straight into the ground. Um, and so it's not not a good direction, by the way, it wasn't a very good direction. No. So there came a time when um, we started to have to put personal money in to make payroll. Uh, and we had over 100 employees at the time. So that was a problem. So we all got together and decided that um, I would buy the business. and try to leverage the woman-owned uh, status as part of a marketing strategy to turn the company around and, and um, get us in a positive direction. Well, when I got there, uh, it, things were more dire than I thought, but I was so naive. I had no idea what I was doing. But I knew how to surround myself with really, really smart people. And so I, by training, by education, I'm a journalist, and I know how to ask good questions, and I know how to synthesize information. So I just asked questions and questions and questions and, and then put into practice the things that I learned threw away the bad, kept the good, um, and from the good, more good ideas came. And we got back on a path to solvency um, because the company was insolvent when I took it over. And so um, it, it, it just wasn't a good thing. Nevertheless, uh, about, so that was 2010, four or five years into it. Um, we were on a very solid footing, but we were maybe a $8 million a year business, but with an infrastructure that could handle much, much more. $8, eight million in revenue. $8 million in revenue. Yes, right. yes, yes, yes. Oh, God, <laughs> I wish. And well, I'm just saying that for months. I'm reminding <laughs> right. myself. I'm reminding yeah, no, myself. no, no. I'm sorry. We were about, yes, $8 million in revenue. Um, and so... We were paying our bills, but we weren't thriving. We were paying our bills and keeping people employed, but we weren't thriving. About that time, and the biggest gap I always had was somebody who actually knew the numbers, could give me good financial data, 
so that I could make the right decisions. God was with me up until that point because I made a lot of decisions based on gut. And um, even though the, the numbers didn't always support what I was trying to do, I continually invested in the business because I believe that in the end, we could monetize this asset of our family portfolio. Well, that gut, you know, is so freaking important in those moments. And for the entrepreneurs and, and for people who run a family household budget, you know, there's always that you got a gut feeling like we're, we're heading down the right path or we're not. And, you know, to be able to have that that resolve that, that you have shown, OK, I believe in what we're doing and we're going to pour into it rather than continuing to to put your personal you know uh, assets into it without that gut would be that would be probably not wise so uh, i love hearing that that passion and and why you did it you know that's really cool in the beginning one of the um about 2 years into the not even maybe the first year i went to my attorney and tried to figure out how to do a smooth bankruptcy. Um, and he said, I know a person that could help you get out of this. And if he can't, nobody can. Not, not to claim, not to file bankruptcy, but to actually turn it around and get it on the right path. And so this guy was a big private equity guy. And um, he now called himself a director at large. And he had like six or seven clients like mine. I said, okay, let's, let's have it. I'll try this guy. I'll try anything. He met me, said I was worthless, said I didn't have, I had no business doing what I was doing and that my only value to the business was as the face of the business. Ouch. It was, and I, and I have never been the face of anything. I was always the person behind the person, making sure that they were successful. Um, being the person out front just wasn't my comfort zone, but I thought, you know what, if that's what I have to do, that's what I have to do. So that's what I did and um, worked with him for a time, but he kept, he told me many times over, if I put one more dime of our personal assets into this company, I was crazy. Well, I put a lot more dimes of our personal assets into the company because I knew we could make this. We had, we have an aging infrastructure. We have um, we're skilled labor. Uh, we had a good reputation that I knew could recover. We had really, really good talent, both in the office and in the field. And and I, I just knew we could make it work. Um, so anyway, fast forward to um, about 2014, 15, something like that. And my son, um, who was a, a finance guy, um, said that he wanted to start his own business. And could he live at home while he got that off the ground? So I said, sure, if you just help me out at Huckestein a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> The next thing I knew, she's, she's laughing now, Tyler. <laughs> I'm laughing now, now but now. at the time I felt really <laughs> guilty. 
but he dug in and for the first time we did have solid numbers and they were actually better than I thought they would be. So together he and I, um, he was like the numbers person and I was the company leader slash operations, ran the business. Um, we slowly grew the business. And uh, around 2017, my brother-in-law passed away and he left, ironically, a very, very small residential HVAC company as part of his estate. And getting that untangled and sold was, you can't even, it was just dreadful. So I just, I said to Jonathan, you know what? I can't leave you kids with this business. So I want to get ready to sell. Let's get ready to sell. Just, just because of having gone through what you did with your brother-in-law, you didn't want to leave your kids that burden. No, that's exactly right. Okay, I did okay. not. And, and, you know, what we had was orders of magnitude bigger and more complicated. And I just didn't want to do that to them. No, I, get, I get that. I, I had a little untangling to do. My sister had a tremendous amount of untangling to do when my mom passed and she was trying to make it easy. So I can only imagine, you know, other situations. Yeah, it, 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 you don't really realize it. And Randy had things pretty well in order. But when you go to sell a business, it's well, so that's what we did sell a business, right? Um, so, so then we spent the next two years preparing to sell the business. And we met with a broker um, and they gave us a plan and uh, we executed the plan. And then, you know, we went to market and again, God smiled on us. And one of the um, suitors was Service Logic, which had been my dream since I bought the company. They had actually been in discussions with my husband and his partner before I got on, you know, came into the picture. And I guess it was just, you know, nothing was, the timing wasn't right until the timing was right. That's so cool. Cause, uh, you know, my, my, my story is a little bit like that with, with service logic. When I sold my company, you know, we kind of had to go at it. And then we pulled back uh, from the table collectively for almost a year until we got some things on our side of the house cleaned up a little bit to make it more suitable for everyone. So I, I, I kind of had that. I really want to be part of that eventually. And it worked out. So I'm glad. I'm so glad that um, that story you just told us worked out favorably uh, where, you know, we could be having this conversation because it wouldn't have been this conversation had we not gone through that. Um, I wouldn't even know you. That Well, we think. You never well, know. Well, true. You never there know. Is, you there are, is. You are out and about. There many, is many commonplace coffee. Happen. Commonplace is, coffee. Isn't that the truth? <laughs> um, so you, you mentioned a couple of things that really uh, struck a familiar chord with me, which was your talent you had both in the, in the office and in the field. Um, because 
I think that, that collectively we feel like that is the, the essence of our companies, you know, is the what, who we get to work with, who, who we serve and, and why we do so. Tell us a little bit about that culture there uh, at, at the company that, that you inherited and that you've worked to, to create, um, you know, in, in the, your own flavor. You know, every, everything, you know, companies to me, when they have a personality and, you know, you can kind of get a feel for the companies. And that's why I love to go visit our companies is because you get a feel for that culture. And tell, tell me a little bit about what you you guys inherited and then what you've tried to build and foster. Jim Hakasine had built an incredible company. And uh, he was the first, he was really a visionary because he was the first that commingled the service and the projects sides of the business um, and got into this, um, you know, on the service side, expanded into what the nomenclature is called special projects. Um, and, and, but on the other side of the business were the big construction projects. But many, many, many of the people went back and forth between them. And you would have um, construction guys who took service calls. You would have service guys who worked on construction projects. And it was it, it was really visionary at the time. Nobody did that. And really, they don't really do it that well today. Um, so one of the comments that was made to me, um, one of my competitors an employee of one of my competitors came to to um, wanted to work for us. So we were chatting and he said, you know, the hardest thing is. One side of the business doesn't know what the other side is doing, so we could be doing service at a building where there's a construction project and neither side knows it. But the customer doesn't understand that. I work in service and they work in projects. They think everybody knows everything and it can be pretty much of a mess from the outside looking in, from the customer's point of view. So I came into a culture that that had already been started down the right path. They were a very tight-knit group. I, at one point, um, I hired a bunch of consultants along the way to, you know, help me get through this, um, this turnaround thing. And this one guy interviewed all the employees in the company and he said well this is definitely a family-owned business however the wrong family owns the business so these people were tight i came to find out later when i first um, started the business one of my competitors had made an offer to my entire staff to come and work for them and leave in mass and because of their loyalty to Jim Huckestein, they stayed. My challenge was to get them to feel that same loyalty to me. Um, and one of my proudest accomplishments is they did. It was a lot of hard work. It was things like one of my employees got um, ALS. and. I sent him home and the, um, you know, normally he would no longer have been employed, but I kept him as an employee 
so that he could have his health benefits until he died. And that took a long time. Um, but it was things like that. I, I am a Christian and I try to live by the golden rule. And if that happened to me, I wouldn't want to have to worry about health benefits. I mean, so it was little things like that. And it was things like if we messed up at a, on a job, um, I made it right at the company's expense, which really was the Staso family's expense. But whatever, um, we ha I had to. I had to impress upon people that I I was in this I was one one of my competitors said one time oh she's the woman whose husband bought her a company to fill her empty nest oh nice there you go wasn't that special so you know <laughs> well, bless I had, her heart as I like to say <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And would you like a sweet tea? <laughs> oh, Lord. Um, so it was just stuff like that, you know, being a part of the MCA group, um, which was our um, bargaining group of mechanical other, you know, contractors mechanical association, contractors, yes. the mechanical contractors association, collective bargaining group of contractors. I was the only woman there. Um, but I never let that stuff get to me. I just tried to do the right thing every day and then the next day and the next day. And, and I really didn't think I thought very long-term and I thought day to day. Well, it, it, what you just described sounds like accountability. It sounds like leadership and it sounds like being a great person. And all the things I know about your company and the people who I get to interact with that work there um, kind of all mimic that. So I think I know, the, they're the, amazing, aren't they? I have the most amazing people working. For you me. really do. And, I and do. you know, I so I work for a, a wonderful guy named Tony Ponzo. And, uh, you know, I tell Tony, like, you know, you're not supposed to have favorites, but it's like with your kids, you know. Sometimes you just click and your your folks, I mean, I just I love working with them. And and we've got our, our companies and this I was gonna uh I gotta make a note of this because I was thinking this morning about this, Wendy, and, and it you know how hard we all work to find new people to join the companies, plural, our companies. We're always thinking about, you know, finding the next rising star or the next seasoned veteran or whatever that we want to join us. But we have such awesome legacy employees, you know, that have been there and that saw your generosity or the company's generosity, however you want to define it with the guy who got sick. Um, it's the little things that you do that most people don't know you do. You know, all those little things are what make our our people like us want to stay there and work for a company. Um, you know, yes, we're a big company now, but in a micro way, we're, we're 40 companies that are made up of what you just described. Um, and that's so awesome to be able to, to feel that uh that that spirit, that generosity, uh, just goes so far. 
So. Well, and I, I have to say um, the acquisition team at ServiceLogic Corporate um, are amazing at identifying those companies that have the culture that, that makes up ServiceLogic. Um, so it, it really, I, I, I can't tell you, I, I'm so blessed to be a part of it. I'm so honored to be a part of it. Um, and you talked about the next generation. I have to give a plug here for my son. Am I allowed to well, do that? You, well, if he did not be hurt. <laughs> Tyler, this kid she's about to talk about, he, he's like a Ken doll. I mean, he looks like he looks <laughs> like a male model. He wears very nice accoutrements. He's got the scruff, you know, a little bit of a beard. He looks like a Ken doll. And I'm and I'm I'm just being complimentary, not weird here for all you <laughs> for all you other people out there listening. Um, oh man! Well, you know, so so when he joined the business and then became um, part of the culture of the business, uh, I could not have created. I didn't create, well, I guess we all created it, but the way that, that the business has transitioned from me being the day-to-day -day leader to him being the day-to-day -day leader, and he is young, he's only 33, um, but he's he never worked in this industry. He isn't a, you know, like a tradesman who rose up through the ranks or even an engineer or anything like that. He's a finance guy. Um, but the the he has put his own spin on the culture of the business. He is so good with customers. So I think it was you, Greg, one time that said to me that I was the foundational leader of the business. And when it was time for me to move on, um, he is the aspirational leader of the business. Was that the word you used? I, I think that that's pretty damn close. And, it's odd because while you were just saying that, that just popped into my head because I was reflecting back on that video um, where you actually said that. And it was so cool to hear you say it because it, it sounded like, you know, like I know you and I talked about it, but it was so natural because it's so true. You know, you you got it to this point. And then just like in a, in a football game, you, you handed the ball off in a very, very seamless way. And yeah, he took it. And yes, he put his fingerprints on it, but the DNA is the same. Exactly. Literally and figuratively. So that's kind of cool. So for me to watch him and be able to work with him in the capacity that he's in now, it's just such, it's such a gift. Um, and I see him, he'll, he'll, was a $15 million deal. I didn't do any of that stuff. I never felt, um, you know, I never allowed myself to get into the whole woman glass ceiling, all that nonsense until I see it now. And it, there is a difference when you're a woman. And I think you need to almost embrace it. Um, you know, I certainly, 
don't think the wives of all of my customers would have been thrilled to death if they were out going to ball games with me and shooting with me and having dinner with me and all that. That's just the reality of the way it is. And then there's no reason to resent it or anything like that. So he's a different kind of a leader, um, not as hands-on as I was, because I was building the foundation brick by brick. So that took a lot of my time. His time is more spent outwardly growing the business by cultivating relationships with clients. And um, he's he's very personable, so they all like him. And, and, and it's just, it has been uh, a really, really good thing. It, it's odd. Well, not odd. It's ironic. You said that. Um, I'm reading this book right now. It's called Bet on Yourself by Ann Hyatt. And she captures the last 20 years of her career working with Jeff Bezos uh, at Amazon, working with Eric Schmidt at Google. Um, And she walks you through, as the reader, she's walking us through the building blocks of those companies. You know, when when Jeff Bezos flew to, to Texas and bought a ranch, and everybody's thinking, damn, I didn't know he was a cowboy. But now we go there with the news to watch the uh, the blue, uh, whatever the hell, the, air, the space lift off his company, Blue Origin. That's where they're doing it. And he bought this ranch, you know, God, 20 years ago or whatever. It's so cool that, you know, those foundational pieces were being laid just like you did for Jonathan and for for Huckestein and for Service Logic, you built those pieces that we're now able to build upon because, you know, and I, I talk about compound knowledge all the time and air conditioning people, uh, technicians, you know, you get compound knowledge. You learn how electricity works and you learn how the refrigeration cycle works and you stack these skills on top of skills. So you don't have a, a fifth year journeyman having to learn basic electricity, he's he's gradually built that skill set. We do the same thing with our companies. You know, you, you start and you're in there in the trenches and you're building that relationship with customers by serving them well. Jonathan extends the relationship by going to the ball game. It's a different deal, but they're both equally and you wouldn't have a company if you didn't do both. But everything happens in a in a cycle of that customer relationship, you know, and I know you guys have long-term customers and, and, and that's proof that it works when you can go through a transition of leadership, much less ownership, because I think, and, and, and you tell me if I'm wrong, but your customers in Pittsburgh and the surrounding area don't really care whether service logic owns your company or not, because they know they call a local number and they get local help by the people that's always on the phone or always have been on the phone to help them. It's, it, it's just a, a seamless deal the way we do it. And, and I think that's important for the relationship aspect. A hundred percent. I agree with you. That's why I think, I don't know if it was Craig or a, the team of you at uh, the corporate office who uh, came up with the the strategy to 
uh, acquire and maintain local presence and not lay over this big, heavy corporate thing that just would drag everybody down. And um, But I, I think that it's brilliant because we are the ones who built the relationships. Um, now, when I took over the company, we lost a lot of clients because they didn't have the faith that I could, you know, I was the woman who, the empty nester. Um, every one of them came back over time, which is very cool. And but when I transitioned, you know, kind of to this new role and Jonathan, we didn't lose a client. Yeah. Well, because you, you did it in a, in a caring way. And I think that caring way is the same way that that service logic does what you describe when we when we acquire a company. And and basically, you know, I don't know who came up with that strategy. It was in play when I got there seven, eight years ago now. Um, you know, what, what when you buy a company, don't screw it up. I mean, essentially is what we're saying, because we don't buy distressed companies you know we buy high quality high performing groups of people who we feel like we can help get to their next level not our next level but your next level and that's as as different uh you know we've had a, a flurry of acquisitions over the last month but with the year-end you know closing um we've acquired some really awesome companies that i can't wait to to get the loudspeaker out and talk about because they're really awesome. But um, the the plan for us as a corporate entity is no different than it was for you. We want to keep the customers happy and we want them to feel confident that the culture's the same, the name's the same, and our competitors butcher that. You know, they come into a community and they buy a company and they whitewash it they spray everything with their color and slap the new label on it. And all those relationships and all that goodwill that we all work hard to build so that when you do screw up and you will screw up in this business, as you know, you got to make it right. And, and that's your name that says you're going to make it right. Just like your competitor said, that's the woman who always makes it right out of her pocket, you know, that's the culture that you have. And that's where people buy into whatever they're doing. You know, I've got a, a the, I told you guys earlier, I got a, a electrical company over here. The guy uh, started the company. He's from Arkansas, hence the name of the company. It's called Razorback Electric. No, no doubt where he went to school in my mind. But the guy is running a solid business and they do the little things like, Last night, I got a text that said, Nick and Corey will be at your house at 830 in the morning. Well, I get a call at 820. They're here. You know, it's just those little personal things that you want as a consumer. I'm, and, and we're all consumers. We all buy stuff. Can we deliver at a level that we would feel good about? And if we can't, we're not doing it right. If you don't feel like you can deliver for your customer what your expectations are and be met, we're not doing something well enough, hard enough, quick enough, whatever, because it all comes down to that relationship of, you know, and I've said it a million times, Wendy, 
I'm exaggerating maybe a little, but if, you know, my measure of service is for me personally, if a customer calls me at 3 a.m. with any kind of problem, and if I say I've got it, can they go back to sleep? And if they can't go back to sleep, I'm, I haven't I haven't met the mark yet. If they can roll back over knowing, okay, Crumpton's got it, we'll settle up at 9 a.m., then I've done my job. And I just hold myself to that measure, whether whatever I'm doing, you know, I mean, it's a little less critical nowadays. I'm not running a mechanical company. Although in my head, I run my life like I'm running an emergency service company because I want to perform for you. You know, if I owe you something work-wise, I want to deliver it. Funny you you bring that up. We so the culture that that I took over back in 2010 was just that, um, and that remains today till today. Any time of the day or night, people call us twenty four seven. However, that culture, because because our um, field guys felt ownership for their clients, which is a good thing, but it makes it very difficult when you're trying to do central dispatching <laughs> because and 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 when you um, need to transition those clients, to be the company's clients, not the individual's clients. And that was a big balancing process um, to keep the guys engaged, but yet insert myself or, you know, somebody at the corporate office, our little Hakkasan corporate office, um, into that relationship and transition it to one where they looked to the company to do whatever they needed to have done and not a person. Mm -hmm. The individual. Right, right. And and that comes down, and, and we talk about it a lot on this on this podcast. It comes down to trust. And when the customer calls your number for the first time at 2 a.m. versus Bob, do they get the same result? And if they do, then they don't have to call Bob anymore. They can call the number. Exactly. And that was the process. It was like, um, but nevertheless, you still want Bob to feel ownership and pride when Absolutely. he gets there. That's but his if customer. Joe gets there, if Joe goes instead, you want him to feel the same thing. You're, you're, you're spot on. It, it's, and there's some kind of magical transformation that happens with that. And, and the, you know, people probably think we're wacky as passionate as we are about air conditioning service, but in the worlds of, of healthcare, hospitality, commercial real estate, this is not grandma's hot. You know, this is my business is affected. My, my revenue could be impacted. My healthcare to my, Patience is is inter interrupted. It is a big damn deal, and if you can't deliver on that on that playing field, you don't get that chance but once to screw that up. And they will find someone else. And then laying on that, the if you overlay the indoor air quality um, blanket because of COVID, it becomes 
so we used to um, there. You, there's a term mission critical uh, in in this industry, and mission critical was always hospitals or you know museums or whatever temperature and, and um, humidity were required to keep everything the way it should be. Every single customer today is a mission critical customer. So you're right. Grandma's too hot. Um, it's a big deal. Big deal. I, and and I, I love it. I, I absolutely freaking love it. I too, too. Whoever thought like <laughs> I didn't even know there was such a thing as a boiler. Right. Back when I bought the company. I didn't know. I mean, I didn't know a thing. Nothing. And and here here's the weird thing about that, Wendy. You didn't know there was anything called a boiler. I didn't know there was anything not called a boiler. But yet <laughs> here we come to the same place in our in our lives and our careers of trying to figure out a better way to help serve. And we come we come at it from two different perspectives. But I love the fact that we we come to the same spot of trying to help people get better, live better, whatever better. It's such a cool thing that, that you know, I just, I, I love the whole thing. Both inside and outside our company. That's right. And we've done some, you know, we've been able to do stuff on a, on the community level uh, with, with what the whole coffee shop at the school, uh, the video that, that you were so gracious and, and coordinating and, and, finding and digging up this tell tell the story i know we're we're tight on time give us give us a synopsis of what happened at the school and how that came together you and i were chatting one time about um different things that you invested in and you told me about this coffee shop that you invested in that's that's um in indiana pennsylvania well there and there's also a an outlet in in uh, pittsburgh and um some other places but anyway so I told you that I went to school at IUP and one thing led to another. And um, then I found out that a friend of my son's mother-in-law was a teacher at Indiana High School and she runs a coffee shop for the special needs kids that is Funded and 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 underwritten, not only underwritten but undertrained and everything by Commonplace Coffee. And so I thought. So then I I emailed you and I said, "This is how small the world is." Told you the story and and I said they need to raise some money to get a new coffee maker and a point of service system so they can do a better job of you know running their little coffee shop. Just all that little, by the way, when I got to see it in person. Um, and you said, hang tight. I have an idea. Next thing I know, there's a video <laughs> in the works and, um, and it was, it was just awesome. So Laura, uh, my assistant and I went up there and were in the video, but it was mostly about the kids and it then was used to fundraise. Um, and not only to fundraise, but those kids were so excited yeah, to be the whole on awareness the thing. Was yes, incredible. yes. It was just, it was awesome. Um, so that's again, you know, they say six degrees of separation, but since I've met you, it's like two. Well, that's because I'm old and I know a lot of people, but 
I, I do want to give uh, the company that Tyler works for is called Market Scale, and they are the most awesome partners that that I could ever wish to work with. And and I work with them in a in a few ways. Um, I pay them as Service Logic because they provide a very viable service for what we do. But on the humanitarian and and the philanthropic side, they're so supportive of, of crazy ideas that I come up with and say, hey, let's go do this together. I And I can say they've never said no to any of my wackiness yet. And I've got a whole new kettle of fish brewing for this year on the wacky side. But um, awesome, awesome people. They were so gracious. The the people at the school, the kids. I mean, that video was just and and we'll have to post we'll we'll, we'll post that up again uh, for for those that haven't seen it. Um, really, a, a special thing. But you know, Wendy, to your point, it's about the people in our lives and how. If we look outside, you know, the mechanical world of air handlers and pumps and, and air filtration, we touch a lot of people, you know, just through our, our, our you know, being out in the, in the, in the wild and uh, being able to do something like that for the good. And, you know, TJ, who runs Commonplace, keeps sending me updates on what's happening with the school. And like two weeks ago, they got another underwriting for this big amount of money and the coffee company uh, or the coffee machine company is like re-upped a real estate guy took off with the whole concept of supporting the school. I mean, that video that, that market scale did uh, really brought a lot of great attention. So Tyler, uh, Tim, Matt, all you guys over there. Thank you so much for, for, for the help on that. That was really great. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, it's it's a pleasure to get a chance to work with companies and with people like like Greg and like ServiceLogic. And so um, that's, you know, particularly exciting for us. So it's uh, it's not a one way street. It, it goes both ways. And we we enjoy that a lot. Well, it's good stuff and, and much appreciated. And and I know I, I see everybody uh, looking either at their clock, their watch or their computer screen going, OK, we're getting close. So. Um, Wendy, I, I hate that we've got to end it, but we, we do have to, to wind it down. But I really just I, I just want to say thanks for coming on and sharing your story of how you got here and, and uh, me being so fortunate to get to meet you and hang out with you a bit. And I know that's not over with. We'll have some more of that. Hopefully, uh, without a mask would be really cool. That would be great. Um, a lot of masks so maybe we'll get there eventually. But um Tyler, uh, as usual, my man, you you have uh, you, as handsome as you are. I have to say, you're you're equally as handsome as, as Jonathan. But uh, it, as far as I know, you're a better producer than Jonathan. <laughs> uh, I don't know. We we haven't heard uh, Jonathan's producer chops, and so you know he might he might knock me out of the water on that too. Well, we won't let him. We'll keep you. All right, he's, he's you. got his hands full of what he's doing for sure. Yeah, I need to. I need to keep this gig. Well, thank you both. Um, yeah, thank I really, you. I had a lot of fun, um, and thought about things I haven't thought about for a long time. So it was, it was, it was great uh, to be invited to join you on the podcast. And um, I have to echo Greg's 
sentiments, market scale, um, the times that we've worked with them, first class. Um, really, really, really a good company. You do great work. Well, thank you both uh, so much. It's it's really kind and really flattering. And so uh, we appreciate that a lot. And we appreciate both of you very, very much. Wendy Staso on the podcast, joining us here on this episode of Straight Outta Crumpton. Wendy, thank you again so much for joining us here and uh, and for chatting with us today. You're very welcome. Happy New Year, everyone. Happy New Year to you as well, Greg. Another episode in the books, and we'll be back soon with more. Man, I can't wait. We I, I was looking at the calendar this morning. We've got some, some fun stuff coming. Um, and one one of the, our guests sent me a note a while back. Said, "Jesus Christ, I can't even get a date on the calendar." I'm like, "Well, keep keep it in there because uh, you know we we try to do one a week and and then uh, you know send them out as as we get them cleaned up and ready to go. But they're they're fun uh, having folks like Wendy come on and talk about just what we do and why and how is so cool to me to get to hear it and, and so much fun to share. So we'll look forward to the next one, Tyler. So take us to the house. Yeah. Well, everyone, thank you again for joining us for this episode of straight out of Crumpton. Like Greg said, we have a lot of fun episodes coming up. So make sure to stay subscribed on Apple podcasts or Spotify or by visiting gregcrumpton.com to stay updated for more. But for this episode for Wendy say so and Greg Crumpton, I've been your host, Tyler Kern. Thanks for joining us. 